Hey guys, welcome to this week's roundup. I have a really fun interview with Johan from Arcade Forge, and also a bunch of the usual stuff as well. So let's jump right into the news. First up, it looks like Toys R Us's Canadian online store accidentally leaked the price of the Nintendo Switch. It should be about 250 US dollars or 330 Canadian dollars. Um, and that seems about right for something like that. So hopefully the, that's the correct price and that's what we could expect to pay this spring. Next, somebody emailed me and said that they had purchased a 32X adapter cable from somebody on eBay, not one of the normal sellers, just a random eBay seller, and it was actually wired wrong. So I kind of redid my entire 32X page to reflect this, but basically, if you're going to make those adapter cables that go from the Genesis to the 32X, anything that connects directly between the two should not have its 5-volt pin connected. You shouldn't be feeding 5 volts through the AV port to the 32X or you could damage it. I actually double checked with Steve from HD Retrovision and he was nice enough to do a little write-up which I posted right on the page that explains, technically speaking, why you shouldn't do that. And I guess a few people had, um, had bought cables that had that pin connected. So um, I guess the, the general rule to remember is if you're just making one of those female pigtail adapters, the ones that essentially turns your Genesis 1 into a Genesis 2, because uh, just AV port, of course, um, that has to have all the pins populated because you want to feed everything to your SCART cable, everything to the HD retrovision cables, or to this adapter. Then the adapter that goes from that female adapter to the 32X, that's the one that shouldn't have a 5-volt cable. Or, like I said just now, any direct connect cables that go between them should not have the 5 volts. So I know it's a little confusing, but um, blame Sega for all this. All their peripherals, their terrible documentation. I mean, even the, the Sega CD. I uh, remember, remeeting, uh, remember reading the manual when I was a kid, and it, the manual kind of implied that you had to hook up different audio, but you don't. You just plug your Genesis on, and all of the audio goes through it. So... Um, yeah, check out those pages if you want more details, but I just figured I'd give everybody a heads up that if you're using one of those 32X adapter cables, maybe just use a multimeter to double check that that 5 volt pin is not connected. A new Sega Genesis game called Tanglewood is up on Kickstarter for release about a year from now. I actually love all of these side-scrolling retro-styled games. It doesn't really matter what console it's on, it could even be on one of the newer ones, but the fact that they're putting it on an actual Genesis cartridge is pretty cool, and I like stuff like this. Um, they're claiming for about a November or December release date of next year, so about a year from now, which is fine. I just, uh, so many of these Kickstarters, you know, triple and quadruple their target date, you know, there's not much communication. I'd much rather have somebody say it's going to be 18 months, and then you get a monthly update on our progress, and that, and you could cancel at any time. Because it's just, there's so many of these games that have been out for Kickstarter. Like that uh, 90s Arcade Racer, It's it's now been a year since the last update on their Kickstarter page. One year. So, uh, you know, I want to back this, but... I'm always just weary to do so because I've backed so many and got nothing out of it. You know, somebody, I posted on the forum the other day and somebody was mad because I guess my post was a little snippy, but even a hardware thing, it looked completed, it looked done. It looked like all they had to do was go to manufacturing and was supposed to be released last May. I still don't have it. So, you know, I, I don't know. Post your thoughts on that in the comments, but the game looks very cool. I hope it gets made, and I just wish there was a, a better way to go about some of these Kickstarter things, because I get my hopes up, and then I never get what I paid for. 
A user on the Assembler Games forum decided he wasn't going to stand for that short NES Classic cable, so he actually replaced the cable with one from a USB cable. Um, he put the tutorial up, which I'll link to, and it looks pretty easy. Just know that you're essentially now destroying the original cable from your NES Classic controller. Uh, that wouldn't bother me at all, but, you know, it's uh, it's pretty much an irreversible thing. But it looks very easy to do, and, uh, the, you know, he did a great job in the tutorial of it. And now it's a normal-sized cable, and he said he didn't see any negative effects of it. So, cool tutorial, and if anybody is insisting on playing their NES Classic, then you should probably either get an extension cable or do something like this to it. And speaking of the NES Classic, it looks like hackers have been able to install Linux on it, and start to pick away at some of the software itself. So that's pretty cool. I'm not sure if it'll ever end up in like a true jailbreak where you could add your own ROMs or change stuff around, but I like to hack everything. So this is just another fun thing to add to the list, and uh, hopefully they'll make some progress with it. Nintendo announced that its first official mobile game, Super Mario Run, will be out on iOS devices on December 15th for about $10, I think $9.99. So that's kind of neat um, that they're actually making progress and starting to go into the mobile market. Um, I don't know if I want to spend 10 bucks on an infinite run game when you could play stuff like Jetpack Joyride for free, but we'll see. Um, I'm sure uh, Francisco, the Game Hunter, is going to review it the day it comes out, and uh, I'll base my decision on him because he's usually spot on with his reviews. It looks like Firebrand X has made more progress reverse engineering the NES Classic color palette. And just a very quick explanation why this is important. When the Nintendo home console was released, it only outputted composite video, and its color palette was based on the composite video color, uh, color patterns. I'm probably saying this wrong, but bear with me. Um, the RGB chips generated color in the RGB spectrum, so the colors didn't match up. That's why the PlayChoice 10 games didn't really look the same, and that's why you have to have a custom color palette in order to make it look similar to how it did through composite video. Well, Firebrand X has been working on this for a long time, and what he calls his unsaturated color palette is can be put on most devices, um, like your uh, NES RGB, and I think the AVS has it, and hopefully the high-def NES will be able to have it as well. And you'll be able to put it on and kind of have it look more like a true Nintendo in composite than it would in RGB. So the NES Classic is obviously Nintendo's official take on this and how they wanted to, to go about taking those colors and putting them through the RGB spectrum. So that's why, you know, to have this choice is pretty cool. And there's also somebody uh, whose screen name is RGB Source, who's working on his own version of this. And uh, it actually seems kind of similar to what Firebrand X is doing, but I, I like that more people are jumping into this. Not to take away from Firebrand X's work, of course, but, you know, the more eyes you have on something, the better chance of getting it even better. So lots of great work, and hopefully these color palettes will be available on all devices within a few months. But uh, I'll keep everybody updated. So it looks like we might be one step closer to having a backlit Game Boy Color. Sort of. So the Game Boy Color screens themselves cannot be backlit. You can only put a front light on them, which, in my opinion, doesn't really look that great. It's better than nothing, I guess. But an alternative that Ben Venn Electronics has come up with is making an adapter board that allows you to use a Game Boy Advance backlit screen from the AGS-101 on the Game Boy Color. So I guess Ben Venn's... Uh, invention basically takes uh, the signal and converts it to be compatible with the AGS-101 screen. 
So when you install it, you actually are only using a small portion, but you could install it inside your Game Boy Color and have it look like it fits correctly. So I don't really like the fact that you have to cannibalize an AGS-101 to do it, but it certainly is a step in the right direction. Also, there's some strange effects with that screen that, you know, it's not that it's bad, but you do get shimmering when you have vertical scrolling. So I'm wondering how that's going to be affected with Game Boy Color. Actually, My Life in Gaming has a Game Boy episode coming up pretty soon that kind of goes into detail about all this, so you'll see what I mean about the shimmering pretty soon. But anyway, it's better than nothing, and I'm glad there's at least some progress being made. Very soon, people will be able to participate in a live-action Zelda game called Defenders of the Triforce. So there's a company that does real escape games, and I believe it's called Scrap. So this is called Scrap Zelda. And basically, it's you get a bunch of people in a room together to try to solve a live-action puzzle thing, which makes sense that they would include Zelda in this because of all the awesome puzzles from the different levels in Zelda games. But I've actually never heard of anything like this before, so maybe if you guys in the comments, if you've done it before, you could post your thoughts uh, or maybe links to good YouTube videos that explain what it is. But I've never done anything like this before. I never did LARPing or any of that other stuff. I was too busy drinking beer and racing cars and <laughs> playing heavy metal. But, uh, I mean, I'm open to try absolutely anything. So uh, this seems cool. I love Zelda, so I'll certainly sign up when it comes to New York. But definitely post your thoughts about it and let me know what it is because, um, I've, like I said, I've never really done anything like this before. And I'm really not sure what to expect other than what's in the description. Mike Moffitt just posted a list of which capacitors to buy if you're doing a cap replacement on a Sony PVM. And uh, Mike talked a lot about CRTs and PVMs and stuff when he was interviewed uh, a couple months ago on this podcast. And I'm really glad he did this because it's basically just a link to DigiKey where you press a button and everything's already in the cart for you and you could just check out. And, you know, I'm sure a lot of the experts, it's not that big a deal to the experts because, you know, it saves you some time, but you would have known what to do anyway. But for guys like me that are not an expert, it's a little intimidating to try to figure out which cap is which. And it's really intimidating to go on DigiKey's website and see that you have about a thousand choices for each capacitor. So, you know, what's the features that, or the tolerances that are worth spending the extra money on? You know, what are the exact sizes that you need? And I've done it before, not for PVMs, for much easier things. And it's just really time-consuming, and I always end up ordering too much because I'm afraid I'm going to get the wrong one. But it's just really awesome that he would post that in a thread. And now if anybody needs to add or edit or have any thoughts on it, you can just post right in the thread and get your experience on there too. So thanks again to Mike, and uh, this is a big help for anybody that wants to try a cap replacement. But i got to say it again, and I always say it, do not open up a CRT monitor unless you really know what you're doing. Because if you don't know how to properly discharge it, you could probably die from touching it. So, and I don't want to sound all dramatic and everything, but seriously, don't pop the back off of any CRT unless you really know what you're doing. So, good luck, and please don't die. It looks like there's been more progress on the Atari RGB mod for the old Atari computers and the Atari 5200. Somebody posted a video of it in action, and it looks great, and the install looks good too, so it looks like it'll be a pretty handy kit to have. Also, it's possible Jason from GameTech might be handling the pre-order sales, which is awesome, because I really like how he was doing the pre-orders for the high-def NES. So right now, you could just go and buy a high-def NES, and if he has them in stock, you get them. Uh, if not, you, you're on the next pre-order list. And if you know if you happen to catch it at the tail end, maybe it's a few months wait. 
but you don't have to worry. You just pay and walk away, which is awesome. So I hope uh, I hope they let Jason take care of it because he did a great job with the high-def Nest kits, and he certainly proved that he could handle a high volume of sales. So that would be very cool. Um, and I'm looking to get my hands on this, and maybe I'll actually get a 5200 and play through a couple of games to see what I think of it, which is neat because I've never even... I've seen 5200s, but I've never played one at all before. So it'll be kind of fun to sit down and just kind of give my uh, thoughts on a, a brand new experience of a completely old and bit obscure of a console as well. So I'm looking forward to it. Next, I just spoke with Michael from Badass Consoles in regards to his GameCube video project, and it looks like the manufacturer is still having issues making the correct flex cable. So there is a, now a longer delay, and there's really no word on how long it's going to be, but hopefully all these things will get cleaned up pretty quickly and installs will begin as quickly as possible. You know, and it really stinks when things like this happen because it's a manufacturing issue, not a design issue. So there's not much you could have done wrong, but if nothing else, I guess this is a really good learning process. And the next batch, and I guess the rest of the batches, we won't have to worry about this. But um, it's still chugging away, and it'll still be here eventually, but unfortunately it's just going to be a bit longer of a wait. Stone Age Gamer is now selling the DB Graphics Booster inside a custom-made hard plastic case. They're calling it the Engine Block AV, and it's essentially exactly like the DB Graphics Booster with excellent RGB output, S-Video, Composite, and Dual Stereo Audio Video through RCA jacks. It's just in a really nice looking custom case for $85. Pre-orders are open right now, and it expects to ship by mid-January. That's just an estimate, so obviously it might take longer, but Stone Age Gamers usually been pretty good about um, when they get and deliver stuff like this, so... Uh, hopefully anybody that pre-orders now could expect them by the end of January. Woozle has sent me an update about his Game Boy Advance TV Out project. He's been trying a different approach, as well as the original fully outputting analog and digital, but he also has kind of a miniaturized version that'll fit right into the GBA itself that just outputs 720p HDMI. So, like I said, he's still planning on doing the full version of it um, in, with both analog RGB, probably component and VGA as well, and then also the digital outputs. This is just something that he wanted to work on as, uh, as well as that. And it's, uh, it's kind of a neat kit. It installs with just a special ribbon cable. And the analogy he gave is that it'll be easier to install than a backlight kit. So I think that's pretty awesome, and that makes it accessible for even more people. Um, and anytime I have any more information on that, I'll definitely keep everybody posted, because that's a mod I'm definitely interested in. And lastly, Arcade Forge released a Pi 2 JAMA board. So I have Johan on doing the interview with me right after the Q&As, but to give a quick rundown in case anybody, for whatever reason, doesn't want to make it to the interview, I'll tell you what it does, because it's pretty exciting in my opinion. Basically, you buy a Raspberry Pi, and you buy this board, and you download their software package, and you just plug it in, and then plug this into a JAMA connector. And that's it. So all the work I did, I never finished the arcade section of the site, which now I'm kind of glad, because all the work I've done over the years on making custom computerized systems and, you know, doing, I even took Windows Embedded and built my own image for it on my own computer. And while it was great, it's never been as easy as just getting a Raspberry Pi, and it really looks the same, because I spent a lot of time with Groovy Main trying to make mine perfect. This looks great, too. And it's just so much easier and so much cheaper in the long run. So it's a really awesome product. And if I still had my arcade machine, this is definitely how I would be using arcade games on it. 
So uh, hopefully I'll be able to actually get one for review soon. And even if I just use an RGB monitor instead of a full arcade kit, I still want to do a little review on it because it's just so cool that you could have such an easy thing and cut out so much time and effort. But stay tuned after the Q&A stuff for the interview with Johan. Uh, I had a lot of fun, uh, and hopefully he'll explain more details for anybody that wants it. Okay, on to the Q&As. First up, Too Quick Capri posted a response to last week's question about um, how do you take the Atari 5200 power adapter and separate it from the RF. And Too Quick Capri posted a link to a great guide on Atari Age that seems to be the perfect answer to the question. So thanks for posting. Next, Electron Ash posted in regards to my discussion with Matt about how do you know if your DVI to VGA cable will support audio. And uh, I don't know what the heck was wrong with me during the interview because I had completely forgotten that it's all digital. So as long as the DVI port itself outputs audio, so on your video card or on the OSSC, any adapter should work because it's just digital signal. Um, and Ash posted a, a pretty detailed explanation of what uh, of why it acts like that. So uh, thanks, Ash. I'm sorry I totally slipped my mind. What a what a brain fart moment there. But uh, yeah, so I'm actually going to be hopefully doing the audio mod to my OSSC soon, and I'll take pictures and kind of show how that works when I'm done. So uh, thanks for posting that, and I'll try with my basic DVI to VGA cable. Next. We talked a lot last week about better ways to do pre-orders, and Nick from HD Retrovision pointed me to the site Celery, so like the vegetable celery. Um, and the only downside I've found so far is it adds another 2% on top of the normal 3-ish percent credit card processing. So that, that does kind of add a bit more of a cost. Um, and I don't know, uh, maybe I'll try to use it for something the next time I'm involved in a pre-order. But in my opinion, I mean... An extra 2% for that peace of mind is a lot less lost than if you had to refund everybody's money um, past the refund period, so you had to pay the PayPal fees. So um, hopefully more people will try to adopt stuff like this. Um, I'll try it out to see if it's any good. Uh, well, I'll try to try it out to see if it's any good. But I just really like the fact of just going to a website, buying something, and walking away. Especially if everybody's honest about, hey, you know, when you pre-order this, depending on the batch, you might get it in two months or six, no guarantee. That's cool. It's totally fine. Um, and it seems like with this website, Celery, you could cancel your order as well. So um, hopefully it'll work out. And please, anybody post in the description if you've used this website before. Um, and if it's any good, uh, hopefully we can see if people are willing to try it for their next products because just makes everybody's life easier. Next, Mauricio Cresti asked about outputting RGB from an Xbox. So I haven't had time to even start the Xbox page yet, but soon I'm going to do that. Plus, I'll talk about how you get sync on green RGSB out of it, as well as other options like VGA. But just uh, a basic rundown is there's no way to do any of that without a modification. So if you're using uh, an original unmodded Xbox, just stick with component. It does output pretty good component video, so you shouldn't have any issues with that. But there are ways to output sync on green and VGA, and uh, both require both a hardware and a software mod. Although I think the sync on green, you just need a modded cable. Um, but the VGA, you definitely need to mod on the inside. So I'm not sure how long it'll take me to get to it, but I will eventually have an Xbox page. But for now, just stick to a component, and if you really need to output SCART, 
um, just use the Garo by the Behar Brothers, which is another review that I, I have shot and I just need to edit and post it. So I'm sorry I fell so far behind with everything, but uh, now that the move's over, I'm catching back up and hopefully I'll get all this stuff up soon enough. And finally, Woozle, the creator of the analog to digital SNES mod, as well as a few other things, uh, just posted to update that he had removed the old board that he had on OSH Park and posted a new one because he updated the internal analog amp to a THS-7374, which is smart because those are better quality. Um, and Bordy, the uh, creator of many SNES mods, actually helped him out on it. Uh, so he should be able to get a prototype of that relatively soon to start testing. So I'm excited. I can't wait to play my SNES through that converter on my HDTV and see how it looks. But uh, thanks again to Woozle for working on all these crazy projects, and I'll keep everybody posted as soon as there's any more info on when they'll be available, or at least when we get a prototype to test. Okay, up next I have Johan from Arcade Forge. Uh, I had a lot of fun in this interview, because he gets just as excited about arcade stuff as I get about old consoles. So, uh, you know, we were just two dorks talking about awesome old retro stuff. Uh, and it was a lot of fun, and he's got a ton of cool products on his website that are all obviously geared towards arcade things. But um, the latest one, the one that I talked about in the news, the Pi 2 Jam is pretty exciting. And he's got he talked kind of a quick run-through of a lot of the stuff that he has for sale. So, uh, and he did it all kind of in short notice. I just emailed him out of the blue and was like, hey, can I do an interview real quick? Your new product looks awesome. And he was great. He was a lot of fun. So hopefully you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. Uh, and as always, any comments or criticism, uh, fire away in the comments section of the video. And I uh, appreciate everybody's feedback. So take care. I'll see you guys next time. Hey, guys. I'm here with Johan from Arcade Forge. How you doing, man? Fine. So uh, thank you very much for, for doing the interview. Um, I've been a fan of your products for a long time, and uh, I've always meant to reach out to you, but ever since your latest product, um, that's what really made me do it. But uh, I guess I'd like to, to start at the beginning. And so um, I guess the first thing I saw from you a long time ago was the scanline generator. Yes, yes. This was the first bigger project, the SLG 3000. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was very fun. It was very successful and was a lot of fun and started as a community project in the Arcade Centrum. There were several people in the development and yes, it's still running very good and was a lot of fun, yeah. Now, was that the first product that you put on Arcade Forge? Uh, no, it started mainly with the Dual Strike, I think, and with, with some Plexi stuff, Arcade Sticks and some stuff for modding for C360, uh, Commodore 64 and so on, and um, I started, I don't know, 2003, 2004 with, with that stuff, no? and and then moved to um, um, and PCP development, and one of the first projects there was, and then the SLG 3000, and then some some of the successors, um, the Zinc Strike, the Umza, the, the uh, SLG in the box, and, and all of that, no? and then, then the keyboard encoder, the the key strike, one player, two player. Mm-hmm. All of that. Now, the the sync strike is something. Um, sync strike, sorry, is something that uh, yeah. it's been very helpful for a lot of people. I bought one a few years ago, and uh, I mean, it's just especially. I think the number one use for people that don't really know. I don't want to say don't know what they're doing, but I guess aren't comfortable making their own cables is that was the best solution for a lot of the capture cards because you could just pop your uh, wow. SCART connector in it and it outputs no problem. Mm-hmm. 
So is that just yeah, I, using um, the LM1881 based sync stripper circuit? Yes, yes, it was very nice. And um, I've opened the interfaces. I've put there this guard connector. I put there the, the, the DSWP5 with the VGR connector and some Q terminals. So the whole design was very open. Mm-hmm. And I was surprised myself um, 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 how the usage was of this project itself. Now, you mentioned now the VGR capture card. I never had this in mind. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to make uh, to open the, the GBS scaler, the upscaler, the Chinese GBS upscaler, and this was the best way. And um, I put there some interfaces to make it open for the design, and I had enough enough place on the PCB, so it can, came this way. I um I originally bought mine because I had a an NEC XM29 monitor that only accepts C-Sync. It won't accept composite video or Luma. Um, so it was yeah. perfect. I just bought the sync strike and then one of those very cheap VGA to BNC cables, and that was the perfect solution. So it ended up saving a lot of money and working. So uh, the PVM and so on it was also good good uh, use case for the sync strike. Now. Right. Uh, right. Yeah. Mm. So now um, the that GBS upscaler that you were talking about the, uh, that's not something that you guys designed. That's just something that you made products to go along with it. Correct. Yeah, this is what the GBS upscaler was from a Chinese um, gone-based company, and, and it, it worked because it was very cheap, and, and it was a good base for working with. And um, so to, to have supplied some some upscaler from 15 kilohertz to 31 kilohertz, it was was very good. No? So um, it was very modular. It had several interfaces, so it was fun to work with. No? Of course, it has some down trade in, in, in performance. It's not an XRGB, of course, no? absolutely clear. Mm-hmm. But uh, for 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 the usage, I had in mind was absolutely um, okay. Yeah. Well, um, so out of the, you know, I have your website up here, and you, there's just a ton of really cool stuff that you guys sell. Is that all? Is that you? Is there a team of people? Is it mostly just you? Or I, I had in mind some some kind of community library for the German Ecke scene. So um, there was some some sort when I coming up from the categories from top to down the arcade bar tops. Yes, it was. Um, the, I have there one designer who makes the designs for the artworks and such. You know, some archives artworks are from me, but uh, anyway, I'm also there was a um, wood professional who made the design with 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 uh, this plugs and the soul. So um, um, I'm trying to work as as much as possible with professional suppliers here. The buttons. Um, some stuff from Chinese and from, from Japan, Zanwa and so on. Asselgina Box was made by myself. Supergun Max Strike, the deluxe version in Enclosure and such, was also from me. The gamepad keyboard encoders are to the key strike was made by me. And the software was made in, um, from the same developer that developed the dual strike. And the dual strike was open source. And worked with the Xbox Classic, uh, the PS3, uh, MAME keyboard encoder was also very good software, firmware. I had some help there, the multi game, uh, the SLG 3000 was a community project, the UNSA was a community project, the PE JAMA was developed first for me, and then the PE2 JAMA was again a community project, which is the most recent of my projects here. 
And so the Jamma adapter was made by myself, the arcade stick and so on also. So I had in mind that all the good ideas which fly around in the German scene or in the Europe scene, um, I'm trying to put in my shop to have a kind of um, steady access to this project. Uh, most of I see what are the projects I see are online for a year or something and then they disappear. And, and so, so this was the main motivation for to have a library of good stuff. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I was flipping through um, the page before I uh, before I started the interview with you, and a ton of awesome arcade stuff. And it's uh, it's great to have, you know, different places around the world for that because shipping is pretty crazy. So to have some place in Europe that has so many different options for arcade parts is really just helpful for everybody. But... Yeah, yeah. And, um, I'm luckily in Germany, the the postage costs are not so high, so. Shipping to the States uh, is about 8 euros something, and this is uh, for, for the smaller projects, and this is quite awesome. Right? So yeah, yeah, we can work with, with two States and UK and France, and, and it's quite fun. Right? And also to have these, these open minded in this day, it's really fun to work with. Right? Yeah. Well, the thing that caught my eye the other day that I, I was just really excited about was the Pi to Jamma. Um, and I, I didn't realize you also have the, um, I guess it's just called the Pi Jamma as well. Um, could you explain the difference between the two and uh, basically what they're used for? Because they look really awesome. I have this, first is this Jamma, and it was a try for, I don't know, two or three years. Um, and there was, to this time when I developed this, not uh, an in, in VGA, VGA connection, VGR connection for the Raspberry Pi. Mm -hmm. and, and so it was mm, solution which worked, but you needed some adapters for the pictures and you needed um, Azon and, and USB adapter for, for, for two players if you try to make two players. And um, the GPO pins was limited to 26 pins, so it was only possible to, to connect one player in, in a good manner. Um, but for the P2 jammer, I spent a DZ15 Neo Geo compatible um, connection and a DZ9 for the Commodore Amiga stuff, plus one buttons and, of course, screw, screw terminals for the Duty itself guys and um, um, breakout interfaces for adapters. So, this was a good base, I think, for um, setting up some retro-based projects, the P-Jammer. Mm -hmm. But um, it was dumb. It has no own intelligence. It's, um, it depends on the adapters which are connected then to this, to this um, project. And after some years, um, the gerz 4 gr adapter came and so on, opened... Um, some some kind of VGR connection to the Raspberry Pi, so uh, the circuit was optimized after the time for this gears for adapter, so it could be used on on on, on an, um, arcade based CRT. You need some VGR and um, color improvement, and there are some I don't know. I hear the the PCB I can show. Ah, very Here, cool. Yeah, there's above uh, downside of the GPO um, um, port, which is here. Here, the, this is the port. There's the Raspberry plug-in. <clears throat> here is, you see it? Yes, huh? 
Okay. Yep. Here is a GPU adapter. Here is some some kind of audio interface. Here is the resistance ladder. Here is some um, um, RGB. Um, I don't know the, the, the English words. The RGB um, um, improvement. Mm -hmm. And here on this side, there are 165 ICs who make and shifting for for a two-player Yama with six buttons. Yeah, no? um, here's the screen terminal for kick harness and so on. Right. Here's some kind of loudness and uh, adaption. And yeah, so quite a nice project. And uh, this project was a little bit more than what I was used for my other projects because the soldier points here are very, very much. You know? We have here three, five, six ICs. We have here about, I don't know, uh, yeah, some, some ESD protection. We are 200 ohm resistors, pull up 10 kilo ohms resistors and so on. They, I think they are 500, 500 soldier points. Uh, the probability is of course more for failures than in other projects, so you have to, to invent some test cheesers for this and so on and so on. Right. So it was really a step forward in, in, in making some project and some, some more sophisticated project and um, yeah, it was quite nice. Ne? On the other side is the software. The software is complicated and so on. Well, um, the uh, the other yeah. physical side of the Pi 2 JAMA, that has the actual GPIO connection to plug the Raspberry Pi directly into that, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, if uh, if you're still having fun, you could you show that again? Just because that's the thing that I thought was really great. You just uh, people just buy a Raspberry Pi anywhere that you can mm -hmm. get them, and then you just plug this right into it, and then plug this into a JAMA adapter cable, correct? Or into the JAMA absolutely. cable itself? Uh, I don't. Know. It's somehow dark, no? But I can hear. Put here's my. Uh, uh, with an RPP on the bottom side, and I put it to my cap here. You see it? Uh, your signal's breaking up. Um, there we go. Now I see it. Oh. Ah, okay, I'll stop. Then I can show it in action. I turn off my cap and turn it on. So the Raspberry Pi is booting. You see it? Yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, you see it? So, that's all. Now we are in auto strategy. Start is there. And this was about 10 seconds or something. And the boot up times are very good. And that's and running in 480i or 240p for the menus? Once again? Uh, what resolution is this menu running in? 240p or 480i? 240p. Cool. And then the game's running native resolution, I'm assuming, right? I, I think so. Mm -hmm. I think so. Also, there are some some uh, games um, example uh, Moon Patrol, which has its own um, um, resolution, which are very hard to simulate. Uh, but most of them were uh, right. Got gotcha. it. Oh, it has here. This is one of the caps which has an um, automatic um, routine for switching the monitor. Oh, so that's in the software, so it automatically rotates the monitor? Uh, it's possible to get it in the software, but currently not. No? This is only for caps which has not this feature. No? 
But uh, this was pretty cool. Gotcha, gotcha. I have a button and then and I can put it and I can switch it then, no? Mm-hmm. So if I understand you correctly from what you said before, um, if I had one of those uh, arcade machines that had more than the standard buttons, um, the Pi 2 Jamma has uh, inputs for the extra buttons, like a Mortal Kombat or a Street Fighter machine, correct? Absolutely, absolutely. I said this uh, breakout. And this breakout, uh, the kick harness breakout can connect um, up to six buttons each player. So no problem to play um, um, CPS2, Street Fighter or something. And uh, yes, on the JAMA interface itself, there are five buttons and the six buttons is available via screws, terminals, and uh, just works. That's very cool. So the yeah. um, the original Pi JAMA, the one with the, uh, the, uh, the case around it and everything, I guess I'm still not 100% sure what that does. Um, do you have to, uh, how would you connect the Pi to it? Because I see you have the controller inputs and the JAMA output, and then I see you have um, uh, both uh, the expansion connector and the uh, where you would put the controllers in, but how would you connect the actual uh, Raspberry Pi itself? Uh, right, ribbon cable. There's a ribbon cable which um, comes with the GPIO adapter, and uh, we have the ribbon cable to the other side of the GPIO um, connector of the Raspberry Pi. You know. Gotcha. So, could you know. use the same uh, the same software image on both uh, on both of these, or is one uh, is the Pi Two Jamma designed specifically for it? The Pi Jamma is designed. For having one-to-one wire, that's what this means. Um, each button, each joystick um, um, direction is wired to one GPIO pin. Um, the P2 jammer has here some intelligence. It has the shift registers, the 74 ACT165 or what they are called, and inside the software is then a routine which translates this shift registers to the joystick and button signal. To ensure that you can have here some some more signal, mm. that's the main difference. So um, 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 the image itself, or also software itself, is so far is proprietary. This means um, you can't attach arbitrary image to file or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, currently, we're working on this. We have an, 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 an device or a daemon who translates the, the signal into an, an, an Common joystick or a common keyboard interface. So, in future, it should be possible then to use other images as well. Then, okay. but anyway, uh, currently we are we are having the aim that uh, we are offering this uh, image on, on on our homepage and can be downloaded. We are offering the emulators FBA, Final Burn Alpha, and MAME, mm-hmm. and we're quite good. Uh, as in, um, we have we're working with USB patches and USB sticks, and um, we have some auto start routine on the USB. This means you can leave your uh, complete stuff in the cap, then you put some games, drones on the USB sticks, and then um, um, the PJAMA software searches on the USB stick for the ROM and automatically started. You know? Uh, what is also a feature is this called patching, patching algorithm. Um, you can configure on your USB stick and patch file, which mm-hmm. makes some 
um, vertical horizontal orientation or some, some 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 updates to the software so we can feed um, via patch files to the display stick the the the, the um, um, and the software of the P2Jama. Um, sure, if somebody makes a VLAN or something like that, you can have a shell or something. Like that. That's very cool. That's very cool. So, is this? Um, you said the software was available for download right on the website. Uh, currently, yes. Uh, I have made yes. Just yesterday, I made a new image. The next image is coming. And uh, yeah, the the links with the mega, mega and set after the pictures. Scroll down to the pictures. And then, yeah. You, uh, oh, it's in the um, the Pi to Jamma page. Yeah, you know, here's the Pi to Jamma page. Then you have the pictures, and then here is the image for download. Here's one patch file. Um, we are working currently to integrate the patch file here in the uh, current download, and then we, I think, in the end of the week, we make here a new image file and. It's password protected, so um, we're giving the passwords then to the customers. No? Gotcha, gotcha. Um, so, can people try to use these uh, these boards as well, just to hook them up directly to an RGB monitor, like a Sony PVM or something like that? Yeah, sure, sure. Um, I made this. This is my main testing team because I do not want to test on on um, on the capital. Right. Mm -hmm. I have to make some. Some more sophisticated testing, and so I'm using a Supergun Maxwell for testing. And this can be also made then for, for others. No? Um, if they have a Mac at home, then they connect to the Mac, just got RGB, MPVM, or, or whatever. No? Just talking about the right? it's possible. We are um, the normal Supergun to have a SCART connection to this project. No? But anyway, Sometimes so is that something be, you guys are planning on selling then? Just an adapter with the SCART connection so people could use the Pi right on their uh, RGB setup? Ideas are spreading. Ideas are spreading. Uh, sure. uh, the, the normal schedule was to um, release this project on, on early 2017. Now we are in November, so we are quite fast on this. And uh, we are working very hard on the software. Um, um, to reach a stable, stable. Um, these it's stable, but we we have to make some documentation and so on, and then then hopefully we will release them to open source, and um, then we make some 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 add-ons like a start connector and so on and so on. And I'm thinking about an um, um, interface. I don't know. This is very cool, and this is um, this is a big deal for me because I've been trying for years to make a very good um, arcade machine, and I had for mm. a while a Mortal Kombat machine with a Windows PC. And my my day job is uh, you know computer tech, so I was actually able to build a Windows embedded image that was locked down very tight, and it was great. It was pretty solid. But the problem was, yeah. anytime one of my friends said, "Hey, can you build me one too?" Now I had to start completely from scratch, import a whole new set of drivers, get it all. And so with the Raspberry Pi, it's such an awesome thing because it's universal and people all over the world are using the same set of hardware. So everybody could just contribute and help. And, that's, you know, also it's so small. So I had a yeah. full-size, you know, a full Windows tower sitting in the bottom of my arcade machine. And I think I ran, um, uh, forgot what, Mala, and then I tried the big blue front end, which was great. 
Um, but this is just like this is exactly what I was hoping for. Somebody could just buy this and then buy whatever adapter they need. You know, if uh, if I ever hopefully I'll have, get another arcade machine. You know, just buy this. Put, I'll put a JAMA switch in to go between the original whatever arcade and this one. Wire up everything. I mean, it it's it probably is one at least. I mean, it would save hours of setup time for me. You know, it would probably go from four hours to one hour, if not, you know, faster than that. So this is really cool. And to also have people, you know, I know a lot of people that have RGB monitors. And, you know, you Mm -hmm. can't afford to buy every single arcade uh, board that you want. You know, you'd buy your favorite and then you still want to play the rest. So just having one solution like this to be able to play on a PVM. And then through those arcade sticks, uh, you know, you could buy, you could still buy the serial port arcade sticks. So they don't, you don't have to worry about USB lag. They're directly in. So having a solution like that would be phenomenal. Uh, absolutely. Um, we have some, some arcade museums around and, and uh, some collectors here. Huh? So it's not the arcade museums have about 30 to 40 caps to maintain, or some collectors uh, have about, I don't know, uh, 30 caps and so on. Huh? And it's very difficult to maintain these ones. Huh? And um, sure, Windows PCs are possible. But we have always to adapt the OS operating system to the current hardware and, and, and so on and so on. You can make an image, import the image, but the Raspberry Pi is perfect. It's cheap, it says it's stable, hardware release. You can use the images and so on and so on. Yeah, it's open source, so it's totally legal to just post your image and share it with the community. So it's, uh, it's really cool. Yeah, absolutely. And currently, um, we have wire this controls directly to the GPIOs to have very zero lag. No? Also the game feeling with this, with this PCB is absolutely close to the to the original Arcada hardware. That's, that's really known here once again. Yes. And um, I'm normally collecting myself Arcade PCB. I have 150 PCBs or something like that. No? And then it's really close to it. No? And so now I'm keeping the, the Arcade PCB in my cupboard and, and, and maintain them and when I want to play I can use that one and um, as you see for me it's the booting time very important when I want to play I want to play so I want, do not want to wait for a Windows PC to boot up two minutes three minutes or something like that but with this um, booting capability of, of five to six, ten seconds is quite awesome and turn on on the cap off the cap no? Through the capability of the USB stick, that the ROMs are on the USB sticks. I have never had an, 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 an SD card FS failure. Um, this happens mostly on, on contributions, which are worked very much with the SD cards and read write operation and so on. And if no turned off on my cap two not times, and it's not happening one time that I have a uh, file system error. So this is working really, really cool. No? Yeah. How do you find um, how do you find lag is on uh, the Raspberry Pi through Mame? Because I've had very good luck with it, and I seem to be pretty sensitive to lag. Like I was just playing the NES Classic that came out a few weeks ago, and I yeah. mean it was I, very noticeable how bad it was. Um, and but even just playing in 1080p on my plasma, I found that Raspberry mm. Pi Mame lag is very minimal. I mean, I was impressed at how low it was. Mm. Also, I never heard about the lack of the NES Mini, but uh, sadly to her. Uh, so, yeah. Because for me, when, when, when someone is used for the game, and we are retro gamers, we are used to the game since decades. Mm-hmm. This means we are trained on the games. And the more right. we are trained on the games, that's more noticeable as the lag. So lag is a very 
good argument for for for, for game feeling. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, especially the fact that you'd be playing through a CRT lowers the lag even more. So I think. Uh, yeah. What is the Raspberry Pi meme? I think somebody said they got it down to about a frame, frame or a frame and a half of lag. Is that true? I don't know. Hmm. I well, don't know. all I know is that it's. I don't notice it at all when I'm playing. Even my plasma yeah. TV has about two frames of lag, and I barely notice anything, if at all. So they're doing a great, great job on that. Uh, I've heard now from a customers who, who, who reported. A- about game feelings, it's very, very responsive, no? and um, so for me also the gameplay. Normal, I have in this cap, have in this quadro cap, I have the capability of running four games in a time. This means there's a Yammer switcher for four PCBs, mm-hmm. and I've uh, made the comparison to um, the the P2 Jammer with the Raspberry uh, versus the original PCBs, and honestly, I could not see any. No? So That's cool. really good news. That's really good to hear. Because when I was first experimenting with my Windows PC, I had a Mortal Kombat arcade machine, um, and I was yeah. switching back and forth. And some of the con- and I was just playing with the configurations, but some of the configurations I was doing, you could definitely notice lag. But once I got Groovy Mame set up and everything, uh, it got you know I couldn't notice it anymore. So it's good that you yeah. did the side by side test like that. Really, it's the the real world test. <laughs> I- that's what I mind. It's a very individual feeling about lag. No? It doesn't interest me about 20 milliseconds, 25 milliseconds or something. When when I'm experienced lag, then there is lag there. No? So this is only training. No? Mm-hmm. So if you're a player for 30 years, Street Fighter or something like that, you will notice one frame lag. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very true. Well, thank you very much for doing the interview. This was very cool, and uh, you know, I've I've been following your stuff since I got into gaming again, and uh, I'll keep everybody informed every time you guys have something new that you're releasing. So, thank you. Yeah, thanks a lot. Every time again. <laughs> cool. Take care, Johan. I'll talk to you soon. Yep. Bye. Ciao.